What does it actually mean to be a bad bitch? I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and if you're asking me, it means being fully alive, unstoppable, kicking ass at the things that light you up, and being permanently unavailable for the things that make you feel like shit. Whether you're a boss bitch business owner or just someone who goes hard on your personal and professional growth, buckle the fuck up and get ready to be inspired, challenged, and take action. Let's do this, boo. Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. Just a heads up for those of you who are watching on YouTube or perhaps a clip somewhere on social, you will notice two things. Number one, I have this amazing new LED light up microphone that's changing colors. So if you're not watching it, you should at least check out some clips because I freaking love this thing. I just got it yesterday. And so this is my first time trying it out. It's called the HyperX Quadcast mic. I think a lot of gamers use it, but I was like, mm, I think I need this. At some point I may play with the color settings, but right now I'm just like letting it do its thing. Also, if you're watching this instead of just listening, you will probably notice me looking down at my outline today. That's best for both of us, honestly, because when I'm doing a solo episode, I can get a bit rambly, so I structured this so that we can make the most of every single minute that you are listening, and I will try to look at the camera. <laughs> you can subscribe to the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at badbitchtherapist. All right, so let's get into the reading, watching, loving segment. Recently, I think I mentioned that I was reading a book called The Confidence of Wildflowers by Macalia Smeltzer, a little bit of a smutty romance novel, which is not my typical read, but also I don't read a lot of fiction, period. And hate to admit it, but these romance novels, I mean, as at least some of them, at least this author, is a bit of a page turner for me, and I need that in a fiction book. So I really enjoyed it and the sequel. This series is just these two books, but she does have a number of other series. So the two books are Confidence of Wildflowers and The Resurrection of Wildflowers. So I just finished those, and I thought about starting another one of her series, but I decided to go with another popular romancy author on Kindle, not just Kindle, but her books are on Kindle Unlimited, called A Not-So-Meet-Cute by Megan Quinn. So stay tuned on how I'm liking that, but so far I can already tell that I'm going to enjoy her writing style. And that also takes me to my watching segment because I've already mentioned some of the excellent shows that I've been watching in recent episodes, so you can listen to the intro segment to find out those other shows I've been watching. And also, I am watching the new season of The Bachelor. I started watching during COVID, never had before then. And I have to say, I do look forward to it. And I am trying out the whole idea of like, let's not be ashamed of our quote unquote guilty pleasures. It's just a thing that I enjoy. And it's also something like as someone who like, my mom, for example, is really into a lot of what I would call higherbrow media, and she's always like reading the news and always super informed. And while I do aspire to that in some ways, I think I've also let that, not her specifically, but let my sort of ideal of like what I should like to create unnecessary shame and self-judgment. And so I'm kind of allowing myself to lean in to that it's really okay for me to just 
purely enjoy watching The Bachelor, reading these smutty romance novels, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that I won't ever read actual literature again or enjoy a great indie film, but it's okay for me to enjoy these. And I'm actually going to make a post later today. It'll be up probably by the time this episode comes out, but about embracing our contradictions. So if you're not following me, make sure to go follow me on Instagram and TikTok. Those links are in this the show notes for this episode. So Okay, so that's the reading and watching and loving Disney World. I went on my first trip to Disney World recently and it was amazing, was everything I would have hoped for, truly magical. And yes, I am becoming a Disney adult. And again, I am not ashamed. If you've not been, I mean, most people I feel like have been, I'm like a latecomer, but the experiences are so incredible. Like definitely not the sort of like roller coaster lover type place because it's not that impressive in terms of the rides or the, the thrill of the rides, but the full immersive experiences. I mean, there's a reason that Disney and the theme parks in particular are just incredible examples of storytelling and immersive experiences. So I'm all kinds of inspired by that and planning on going for my first trip to Universal in sometime this summer. So make sure to hit up Harry Potter. Super excited for that too. Okay, let's get into this episode. And we'll be talking about five steps to overcome overwhelm. So it's important for me to say up front that while this episode is structured with these specific steps that can be helpful to practice in a sequential order, any single one of these strategies will also be helpful just on its own. And by no means is, are these steps like a one and done, check it off your list kind of thing. It's more of a process that you can and will want to repeat over and over again, experiment, iterate, adjust. And these are just some ideas to get your wheels turning. Also, thinking of implementing all of these strategies at once could in and of itself create a sense of overwhelm. So either just start from step one and work your way through slowly, just one little piece at a time, or start with whichever step you feel like would have the most impact for you given your unique situation and needs, and then continue from there. Okay, so jumping in, I am not typically an according to Merriam-Webster kind of gal, but I was curious to kind of see what the dictionary had to say about overwhelm. And instead of the word overwhelmed, the adjective, I first found the verb overwhelm. And holy crap, you guys, the definition was to bury or drown beneath a huge mass. Can we say a no thank you? That sounds awful, right? So when you think of feeling overwhelmed, it's like literally being buried under a huge mass. Again, hard pass for me. So it's actually really helpful to hear it that sort of visually and dramatically because sometimes we can just sort of get used to things and accept them as like, well, this is just how things are challenge all assumptions. We're going to keep coming back to that message throughout this. So if we want to perhaps not be buried under a huge mass, let's talk about some strategies. Also, in terms of the language, Brene Brown did a really interesting piece on this. I think she talked about it in one of her podcast episodes, and she also gets into it in her new book, Atlas of the Heart. 
And she differentiates between stress and overwhelm and shares about a time when she was working in the service industry and looking at the terminology of in the weeds and being quote unquote blown. So in the weeds, and those of you who've ever worked in service as I have, probably know these terms. Actually, I had not really heard of blown, but then when she described it, I was like, oh, I know that experience. So in the weeds is when the server is just overloaded with tasks and demands. And so they're like scrambling to try to meet the needs of all their tables, but they still have the ability to understand what needs to get done and articulate what they need. They're just feeling kind of behind and scrambled. Being blown, on the other hand, is when a server becomes so overloaded with the tasks and demands that they can no longer articulate or understand what they're even inundated with. So essentially, the prefrontal cortex at that point has just flipped and it is offline. And so when that happens, like she talked about how if someone got blown, they just like have to tell the kitchen or someone else has to tell them like, you're blown, go take 15 in the back and just like literally get out fresh air breathing regulate the nervous system and because at that point they're just essentially useless to anyone right and they just need to kind of get back online and they need help to get caught up so stressed Brene Brown says is being in the weeds overwhelmed is being blown but the problem is In our sort of cult of busy, where the the first thing that anyone tells you when you ask them how they're doing is, I'm really busy, we are always saying that we're overwhelmed. And I can say this from my, my own experience, that there have definitely been times when maybe I was really just stressed, but I had this narrative that I was overwhelmed, and that narrative in and of itself created this sort of momentum of the stress that might have actually then had the self-fulfilling prophecy of making me actually overwhelmed. And if I had had more awareness of the power of my own language, I might have been able to say, I'm really stressed. I need to assess what I have in front of me and take it one step at a time. Because if I start with just like, oh my God, I'm overwhelmed, then I actually might create that reality, right? And that's not to say that there aren't situations where there's literally just too much on the plate, right? That absolutely happens. But also, as I said, I know this is true because I've experienced it myself and you probably have too. If we jump right to I'm overwhelmed, we tend to increase the stress and maybe land ourselves actually there, okay? So that leads us right into step one, which is be intentional with your language. The words we use are so powerful. Your subconscious mind is listening. And once we sort of give ourselves that narrative, it can really start to plant seeds and take shape. So looking at how we can actually use the power of language to commit to a different way of being, not only can we be aware of not, not just jumping to, I'm busy, I'm overwhelmed, like we can take a more empowering language, like I have a lot on my plate right now, I'm feeling stressed, right? But not jump into that like red zone immediately. The other thing that I heard from Marie Forleo recently, was this idea of, I don't do overwhelm. And she said that this was such a life-changing shift for her. And there's been research done showing that in the power of language, using the word don't is eight times more effective than the word can't. It's more empowering if you think about it. And again, I've had this direct experience myself. I can 
related a lot to my experience with veganism. So in the past, when I had tried to give up meat or give up fish or anything like that, I was kind of white knuckling and like feeling really deprived because I was like, oh, that sounds so good. And I can't have that, right? And it just felt so disempowering and I felt so deprived. And then once I kind of dug into all of the documentaries and books and things that I had been avoiding and it became like the switch truly flipped for me from can't to don't. And it was like, oh yeah, I can tell that is appealing to my senses, but I don't do that. I don't have that anymore. And so I could really feel the power of that language shift. So what might happen if you were to say to yourself, as Marie Forleo said, I don't do overwhelm. What might change in the decisions that you make? If you start to feel that stress creeping up and another thing comes your way that's demanding or asking for your time and attention, pausing and going, well, hold on. If I don't do overwhelm, What would I say? What would I do in this scenario? So that's step one. Be intentional with your language. Step two is to take an honest and thorough inventory of what is actually on your plate. And this goes for like ongoing stuff. And we have to remember that life also includes many projects. It's not just our work. And Charlie Gilkey talks about that a lot in his book, Start Finishing, that we often have way too many projects going on at any given time frame, like this month or this quarter, because we're not accounting for the projects of our actual life outside of our work. So accounting for everything that is actually there, ongoing and special projects that may be time sensitive, like moving or looking for a new house and really accounting for everything. So, so much of the time we go into a reactive mode of working and avoidance. Like we don't want to look at the big picture because we're just scrambling to try to not get any further behind. Like even as I say that and like move my arms, I'm like, (gasps) I can feel the energy of that kind of scramble. It's kind of like when you're stuck in the paycheck to paycheck cycle, but also never looking at your bank account to fully and honestly assess the money coming in and the expenses going out. Because it's like, I just don't even want look I just have to keep just like moving forward and paying one bill at a time like that's actually where the whole like one day at a time thing can actually bite us because we're not assessing what's actually going on in the big picture we're just working reactively like oh this bill needs my attention right this project this task needs my attention but I'm not putting it in the larger context and zooming out so it can lead to that head and sand mode and then a full-on dread avoidance shame cycle which is miserable, right? So I heard Cal Newport talk about on a recent podcast of his, or maybe it was a few months ago, he was talking with a caller who was feeling extremely overwhelmed because this person's coworker had been let go. And so not only did they have the responsibility for their normal tasks and responsibilities of their job, but they were also covering some of the responsibilities of this other person's job. And it just did not feel sustainable. And so what Cal advised was essentially what he called facing the productivity dragon. So really like getting out there on a big sheet of paper, on a whiteboard, mapping out what are all the things that I actually have going on? What are the things that I normally have going on that I need to account for? And what are the special things that because of this unique 
you know, project or situation. And in this person's case, it was taking on these additional responsibilities of their former coworker and really assessing what all is on my plate, right? Because then I can actually have an empowered plan of maybe going to my boss and saying, okay, listen, I have mapped this all out. Here's what I think is actually realistic. Here's my ideas of, of what we might do to kind of offload or delegate the some of these things to someone else, or just these are the things that I can realistically get done and these are the things that I can't, so help me prioritize accordingly, right? So that's facing the productivity dragon, taking an honest and thorough assessment of what's actually on your plate. And the irony is that whether or not you actually objectively have too much on your plate, if you're in that cycle of a reactive workflow and that dread and avoidance cycle, it will always feel like there's too much. There's this thing called Parkinson's law that essentially means that the the work will expand to, or whatever the thing is, will expand to the space that it's given, right? So you could feel really busy even if you could have done the same amount of work in two hours that took you eight hours to do because you were working reactively and spinning your wheels and plugging away but hardly moving. Most of us know that experience, right? So if we get into that kind of uh, of loop in our day-to-day work, it starts to feel overwhelming even if there's objectively not actually too much on the plate. So once you have that clear picture, that thorough assessment of what is on your plate alongside the actual time and energy that you have available, it's time for step three. Time to eliminate and delegate, or as I like to say, take some rocks out of your psychological backpack. So this is where we're coming back to that idea that we need to challenge all of our assumptions about what we actually, quote unquote, have to do or should do. So of all the items that you identified in step two when you were taking that honest and thorough assessment, what could you offload? What do you actually maybe not need to do that you think that you need to do? or that you've told yourself you should do. Some of it you might be able to offload just temporarily or hire or delegate out or even eliminate temporarily or sometimes eliminate permanently. So again, this is something you'll wanna do periodically. Jenny, who wrote the book Free Time and is a friend tour of mine, talks about giving your business a haircut. A haircut is not a thing you just do one time. It's a thing that has to happen periodically that we have to look at, okay, what, what do I actually need to shed here that's not actually moving me toward my highest value goals and desires? So there's these things that may sound like a good idea at the time, and so we just keep doing it because we assume that we need to keep doing it. But do we, right? So question all your assumptions and get creative with your delegating. So yes, this is a conversation that involves privilege, but if you do have the resources, if you do have the privilege to do so, sometimes we we are not taking full advantage of those resources to delegate things that could reduce what's on our plate and actually help us feel like we're taking higher value steps toward our goals. So for example, that could be meal kits. Instead of delegating something in the business, it might be delegating your meal prep and having more time and energy that way for you to work on what's most high value. And I've been doing this recently and and I will 
totally admit that it, it feels really hard for some people, including myself. Like some people may have worked past that and they're just like, yes, I am worth it. I will pay for that. But it's hard to be like, oh my gosh, am I really going to get these meals that's like $13, $15 a, a plate when I could theoretically just, you know, cook a big batch of rice and veggies and all that. And and I go back and forth and sometimes I do have the capacity or even the interest in cooking more. But if I'm really honest with myself, most of the time I would rather spend that precious limited time and energy doing other things. So yeah, if I have the resources to do that, it is worth it for me. I'm actually getting back into Daily Harvest. Knock on wood for me because they had a big like food poisoning thing that went on last summer, but it can happen to anyone. It actually sidebar kind of just exposed the lack of regulations in the whole meal delivery industry. So it was not just a them problem, but I kind of think like mm, they're going to be under scrutiny. So maybe that's actually as safe as anyone. Sidebar complete. <laughs> Told you guys I can ramble. Okay. So getting back to the taking things out of your psychological backpack. The other thing here that is super important for me, and if your brain works similarly, you'll get what I mean. Sometimes there are things that take up space in that backpack and are putting weight on you, even when you're not consciously thinking about them. And if you could just get some of those things out, eliminate them, it can be like oh, a sigh of relief and already feeling lighter. So if you know that feeling of like, if there's clutter in your guest room closet or your junk drawers, like too junky and disorganized and you can't find anything that you need, it's like, even if you don't go in those spaces very often, it can start to feel very claustrophobic and like there's just something weighing on you. And so if you actually get those things cleared out, it's like, ah, oh, sigh of relief. The same works for internal and digital clutter too. So for me, this shows up a lot with like podcast cues, when I save articles in my Insta paper to read later, someday goals. Sometimes I just have to go through those things and be like, I'm deleting all of these episodes because if I haven't listened to them, A, if there's something that I really, really want to come back to, I can always find it later. And B, it's not helping me just sitting here and making me feel this pressure of, oh my God, there's 87 podcast episodes that I want to listen to and when am I going to do it? And unnecessary pressure. Take that shit out of the backpack. Just delete it. Clear it off your plate. Same goes with email, although it's tricky because I'm a big fan of Inbox Zero, but sometimes you can get into that cycle of like, I just got to clear up my inbox. I just got to clear up my inbox. And that can prevent you from working on your higher value actions. So for me, I've had to really work on building a little bit of distress tolerance to be with the discomfort of allowing some of those things to be undone and you know then to kind of block out like okay instead of clearing this out 17 times a day just because it temporarily gives me that like sigh of relief i would rather batch those things together and you know not have it interrupting my schedule all of the time so that takes us to step 4 which is overwhelm proof your schedule so things like batching 
are is one way to do that, where you are bundling like tasks together. I know most of you listening are probably familiar with that idea, but that you're not just wasting a lot of energy and time by frequently task switching. The thing is, even those of us who know this can get caught back in the reactive working cycle where we're just like, oh, just one more thing. Oh, I just got to do one. And that's self-interruption, right? So if you are hearing this and you're going, oh my God, yep, I'm doing that. Consider this your sign from the universe (laughs) to recommit to playing around with the idea of blocking and batching. So scheduling one or two admin blocks each day and just saying, you know what? Emails can wait for those admin blocks. So this is something that I routinely have to return to my own commitments around because it can be so tempting to just say, oh, just this one more thing. No, that's I am robbing myself of my precious time and energy when I do that. And one of the things that helps me to not do that as much is not only the blocking, but also doing Pomodoros, where I can say, okay, I'm just gonna focus for this 25 minutes on this one thing. Anything else that comes up is a self-interruption and I'm not doing it. I'm just jotting it down so that I can come back to it when I'm either on break or it can go into my next Pomodoro. Okay, so that's one way that we can overwhelm-proof your schedule. The other thing is that we have to prioritize our fundamentals. Eat, move, sleep, breathe, connect right? Those things can't be the, if I have time, I will do this, right? So really figuring out, even for for some people, it's like one of those that they are usually more deficient in and just focus on really dialing in that one. If for you it's sleep, it's what would it take to really commit to your sleep? And that always starts with the night before, right? So that then you can actually have your full night of sleep before you decide, well, I want to start waking up at 5 a.m. and doing da, 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 da. like only if your sleep is on point, right? So prioritize your fundamentals. And I know that for me, a lot of times I have to do that stuff early in the day, like at least the moving and meditating kind of stuff. Because if I don't, if I say, well, I'll get to it later, later does not come, right? My day starts to get momentum and I don't want to stop doing what I'm doing. So unless it's on the calendar at a later time, it's just better for me to do it in the morning. And another way of overwhelm-proofing your schedule is making sure that there's white space built into your day. If you feel like you are constantly rushing from one thing to another, it is a recipe for overwhelm, right? So how can you build in a little more buffer time and I promise you it will have a massive impact on your energy. Okay, we're down to our last one, step five, which is establish routines for staying in an intentional workflow and identifying what's working and what needs work regularly instead of waiting for things to blow up. So this is really about creating your, your daily and or weekly plan and then having some kind of what I would recommend, weekly review process. And this these steps require, in particular, these pieces require a lot of experimentation and individualization based on your unique needs, responsibilities, personality, and environment. So Ellen Fay talks a lot about this in her Productivity for the Way You're Wired book, which is excellent. And essentially, one of the biggest messages is 
Don't do what you think should work. Find out what actually works for you and work around that, right? Because our brains are all wired differently, whether it's ADHD, squirrel brain, other neurodivergence. We have to work with our brains instead of trying to create some kind of system or workflow because we read about it in a book or heard about it in a podcast and we think it should work for us, but it's not. And that includes like when your situation changes, you may need to reassess what works for you because it may have worked in that context, but not in this new one. So Creating a daily or weekly plan for me has looked like so many different things over the years because I do need to adapt when I figure out that, oh, well, based on this change in my schedule, this way of doing it doesn't seem to be working anymore. I've played with different apps and planners and all of that, and currently I am loving the method of just a blank piece of paper in a large journal where I'm kind of mapping out, here's my meetings, here's my top three activities for the day to prioritize, here's my random admin stuff that has to get done. I really do loving love using digital tools, but I, it helps to also have in front of me just the day at a glance. Anything beyond that I need to capture in my external brain digitally, but having the day in front of me helps me to where I'm not constantly going like, oh, I need to check my Asana or my to-do list on my computer or my phone and then getting pulled into some kind of distraction. I can just look at my today piece of paper. So that's been really helpful for me. And then you can decide if you're doing like a weekly plan, do you like doing that on Friday afternoons or Sundays or Monday mornings? But again, playing with it and experimenting with it and finding out what is actually gonna work for you at this season of your life. Okay, and because I mentioned that, oh, Before I go move on to that part, the weekly review, one of the things that is super helpful to include is what worked well and how can you celebrate that? Celebration really helps to reinforce habits and things that were successful. So what worked well? How can I celebrate? And then what needs work? And what is my short-term action plan for actually implementing some kind of tweak or experimentation with that thing that didn't work so great? So that's a weekly review. And literally, you could take five to 10 minutes to do that at the end of the week. So if, you know, if it helps to put it on your calendar, to visually see it there, to set an alarm every week, to remind you to do that, I have to do a lot of those things because I can't rely on willpower and intention alone to remember to do my weekly review. So like I said, with this step, this part requires a lot of individualization and experimenting. And that's really what I do, what I help people with to go deep on that type of strategizing and action taking with my signature clear focused done methodology. So if you're interested in digging deeper into that with me, email me, send me a DM, let me know what your big goals are and where you're stuck. I would love to hear more about it. And if you'd like to, you can also set up a free clarity call with me to see if we'd be a good fit working together. I have a couple main offerings. I have my six-week highly individualized coaching program, which is clear, focused, done from scattered AF to clarity and success. And I have my done day, which is a day of Voxer coaching with me. Think of having a coach in your back pocket for a day. So those are how you can work with me. And if you're interested, it's all in the show notes at the website and 
and I will hope to hear from you soon. Thanks guys so much and I'll see you in the next episode. Hell yeah, friend, you made it to the end. I so appreciate you tuning in. And if you enjoyed this episode, make my day by subscribing and leaving a five-star review to help other people find this podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to grab my free video training on how to get shit done toward your high priority goals without getting distracted or stuck by ADHD or squirrel brain. Just head to badbitchtherapist.co slash three tips. That's .co slash the number three tips. You can follow my antics on TikTok at badbitchtherapist and on Instagram at the same, but with dots between the words. Thanks so much for being here. Now go out there and have a great fucking day.